Good morning. I'm thankful today to have the opportunity to speak in Wes's absence. You know, Wes has spoken here uh, every Sunday since last September. He has not had a Sunday off since then, and so he's had a well-deserved break this week and thankful to have the opportunity to step in for him. He has done much more for us through this time of, uh, of interest with the environment we're in. Even from a technology point of view, I'm so thankful for the talents and the abilities that Wes has as he, it's lended itself to uh, uh, helping us with this, a lot of the online things that we're doing. And if I could twist a phrase of his just a little bit, I would say this morning, we love you, Wes. So I hope he hears that and uh, we're showing our appreciation to him. Uh, there's something I'd like you to do today that you may or may not have been doing through all this. and I'd like you to, to go get your Bible. Uh, and I mean the one that has real pages in it. So uh, I hope it's not too far away from you at the moment. And you go get that. There's a point to that, obviously, in the lesson that we'll have. I'd rather you not use your phone even. So uh, I don't want a temptation for Amazon or Facebook to show up uh, while I'm preaching. And uh, so please go get your, your Bible and, and have that with you. I remember because I lived in the 60s, I may have told this story about the family that told the young boy while the preacher was there uh, to go get that book that we all uh, know and love and little Johnny went left the room came back in and, and he had the Sears catalog with him but uh, back in the 60s uh, the Sears catalog was Amazon so uh, that was a book that a lot of people did enjoy and love but I hope that you have your Bible there with you. Um, I want to share to illustrate uh, how I came to even be at McDermott Road uh, Back in 2006, I was very happily working at a church in Tennessee, and I was reading the uh, magazine that we all know and love, and that, that is the Christian Chronicle, uh, like this. And interestingly enough, I have an issue from 2006. Uh, this may not have been the issue I was reading, but uh, the next to last page, uh, right up here in the upper corner, a little 16th page ad, says, Minister of Membership and Discipleship. Now, I have never, up to that point or since then, ever seen the title of a minister called Minister of Membership and Discipleship. But I'll come back to that, to the order. But here's what it said about the rest of the ad. The Church of Christ on McDermott Road is seeking a full-time minister. This individual will work closely with the deacons in assimilating new members into the church's uh, ministries and support the overall spiritual growth of the body. The congregation is led by four elders, has an average Sunday attendance of 600, and is in a rapidly growing community uh, north of Dallas. Well, as I said, that article, little article intrigued me, and I'm thankful I sat down with those four elders and be able to be here at McDermott Road serving in the role that I have. But membership and discipleship, I don't think I've ever discovered who at McDermott Road penned that title or decided that would be the title for the role, but that's what caught my eye. It didn't say involvement minister, which is what a lot of the ministers I do call themselves, but someone helping church members become disciples. You see, I believe that title is in the correct order because membership is somewhat easy 
is placing membership, maybe coming from another church, maybe the decision to become a Christian, but discipleship is a journey. And discipleship is the journey we're all on. Membership may be the easy part. Discipleship is the hard part. And I've come to learn now with McDermott Road, over 1,400 members on the roll, I've come to learn some things by meeting with hundreds of people and families as they come into the body of Christ. That many are still dissatisfied with that part of the equation, with the discipleship part. That you have yet to discover how to get on track with really and truly becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, and they're looking for more. And let me say, perhaps even this morning, many of us are still looking for that track that develops that discipleship commitment to Jesus Christ. And my role is to help people become active participants in ministry. Yet many of our most active people at church, who may be here, as we used to say, three times a week, Maybe they're greeters or maybe they're teaching uh, uh, second grade or something, but might say there's still something missing because activity at church simply by itself does not produce discipleship. And I think the reason is simple yet profound, and that is, you see, discipleship is up to you. Discipleship is personal. It's what's taking place between you and the Lord Jesus Christ, not necessarily what's taking place with you at church. And as I said, not based on the fact that you're uh, an usher or so forth. In fact, those are simply just fruits of your discipleship. But ironically, you can do a number of activities at church, but your relationship with God may still not be anywhere near what you'd like it to be. And I think I can relate to that somewhat in my own upbringing. I think a lot of us started out a bit, if I could use the word handicapped, by, by where we began our life in the church. In other words, uh, all I've ever known is the church. I was, in a sense, born into the church, always going three times a week, uh, youth group, Bible class, vacation Bible school. So it was that relationship with the church that formed first. It was all those activities. And I was in, perhaps ingrained with thinking Discipleship means I'm always at church. A disciple of Christ means I'm always involved with what's going on. But if I could illustrate it this morning, I want to do so by remembering a sermon I heard one time on the life of Felix or the encounter Felix had with the Apostle Paul. So I'd like you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Acts chapter 24. But before we do that... I also want to illustrate from Acts chapter 2. So first of all, turn to Acts chapter 2. You see, my conversion was more to Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and then verses 41 through 47 than it was to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. You see, Peter was saying in these verses to these people, what they had to do to be saved. And that's that familiar verse to us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, where they ask, based on the sermon they just heard, what do we need to do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And then they do that, 3,000. And in verse 42, it begins to talk about the church. All new to them, all these experiences, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. But you see what happened. These people were converted first to what was said in the previous verses. Look at verse 36 as Peter gives his invitation. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this man I've been preaching about, Jesus, has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. These people knew nothing about the church. They knew nothing about coming together as they began to do after their conversion. Their first experience was committing themselves to Jesus Christ and then the church followed. So the church is made up of the saved, but we have to realize it's Jesus who saves and not the church. And as I said, my relationship was more with the church than it was with Jesus. And what can that lead to if it's not corrected? It can lead to a lack of true relationships with the Lord, but a great relationship with the church. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. You're not going anywhere, right? In fact, most of you aren't even dressed yet, so let me have just a few more minutes. Regardless how long you've been a Christian, what have you developed in your life for continuing to become a stronger disciple of Jesus Christ? As you look back over your life, five years ago, 10, 20, even maybe to the point of your conversion, how has your discipleship developed? I'm not talking about your relationship with the church and your activities at church. I'm talking about your relationship as a disciple of Christ. How have you developed that? What are you doing on a daily basis to develop that relationship? You know, sometimes we call this, what are our spiritual disciplines? Or what am I doing for my transformational growth? And I've learned under some great men and heard some great men talk on these topics. Uh, Dr. Gary Bradley and Howard Norton and Dr. Carl McKelvey. Uh, and some of the material I've, I've heard these men express, I'm going to share this morning. But I believe there's only one place you can go and only one thing you can do to develop your relationship with Jesus Christ and truly let Him disciple you on a daily basis. And that is to develop the spiritual discipline, if I may say, of properly reading the Bible. And that, talking about the book that you have in your hands. When Paul wrote to Timothy in his last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, a familiar passage to us. I'd like you to turn there. Paul has just complimented Timothy on all that he knows. He's encouraged him by the, what he's learned from himself, from Paul. 
And when he talks about the Bible, when he talks about Scripture in verse 16, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Timothy, Scripture molds you. Scripture trains you. Scripture makes you competent. In fact, I rarely use what I might call a paraphrase, but in the Living Bible, here's how this verse reads. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do right. It is God's way of making us well prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. Those are things I want to do. I want to be equipped to help people. I want to be straightened out and do what's right. Paul is saying, Timothy, you get that from the Word. You get that from being part of one who reads Scripture. But as I mentioned, this sermon or this lesson that Paul gave to Felix in Acts 24... I don't remember the first and the fifth, I think it was five-point sermon. I don't remember the first and the last points. I'm sorry to whoever the preacher was. But the first, those two were important. And the first one is in verses 25 and 26, or 24 and 25. It says, after some days, Acts 24, verse 24, after some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he was sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, Felix was a governor of Judea. Uh, he was living in Caesarea, a very, very beautiful place to live. But in verse 25, as Paul approached him, it says, And he, Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Felix was uncomfortable around Paul. But I remember the first point of that sermon was Felix was actually in the right place at the right time and didn't even know it. He had the greatest teacher of Jesus Christ in his presence, but he only looked at him as a prisoner and someone he could ask to come and to go. Are you listening? If you were ever in a place to read your Bible like you've never done before, would it not be looking back at the last three months of where you've been? Could it not be seeing the seat that you're sitting in today or the time that you've saved by not driving, the fact you've worked at home, the fact that your evening and weekend calendar has been completely shut down, and all this time has been given you to go into the book that teaches and corrects and inspires us. And we've been in the right place at the right time for that to happen, but we've ignored that opportunity. There's been a sickness outside, but a healing power available to us in our hands every moment and every day. So four quick points this morning. Simply, number one, you've got to come to the realization that the only way to devote your, 
discipleship and devotion to Jesus Christ is to commit yourself to become a better student of the Bible. God's will is here. Godliness is here. You can see it there. It's there for you to find. It's open to everyone. But one of our fallbacks is, you know, I read it, but I, there's so much I don't understand. I need someone to explain it to me. And we've fallen into that trap. And here's where it's led us. It's led us to thinking, my Bible study is that 45-minute Bible class on Sunday morning that I really enjoy. It's that half-hour sermon I get every Sunday morning. And that has become my Bible study. That's become the means of learning the Scripture. And I'm not saying that that is not valuable to us. What I'm telling you this morning is knowledge from the Scripture is available to every one of us. It's not for a special group. God doesn't whisper in the ear of a preacher or Bible class teacher with suddenly the only ability to explain the Word to us. If we're deficient in the Bible, it's not the Bible. But it's because we have stopped or never, never started, maybe never started reading it for ourselves. So when do you spend time with God alone? When do you spend time in the Word without a preacher or without a teacher? If you want the Lordship of Christ in your life and you really want it, I really don't see any other way. But secondly, if I commit to it, commit to reading it with an open mind. Commit to reading Scripture with an open mind. Because if your mind is already made up on everything the Bible says, why would, why would I read it? I already know what's there. I already know where this is going. I already know these chapters. I've seen them before. And I think that's why it's hard for us, for some of us, to read the Bible. It may have come from maybe the way we were taught. And the reason is a lot of us read the Bible with an agenda in place. As I said, what we've already been taught on something. We already know what we believe. We already know what it says about something. So it's kind of like, why, why read that again? Or why read more? And when I say read with an open mind, a better way to say this might be to listen with an open mind. Does that make it a little bit clearer? To listen with an open mind? Does listening with an open mind help in a marriage? If your mind is made up on something and you really can't learn anything more about a topic or a decision from your spouse, then why don't you just tell him or her that uh, they don't need to waste their breath talking anymore about that? Well, how does that go over if that's what you say? You see, God wants to develop a relationship with you by speaking to you in His Word and you listening with an open mind. He wants it based on what He says and not on what you project into it. I've sat in thousands of Bible classes and heard thousands of sermons, but in those settings, I was always generally taught, here's what it means. We preachers, we do that, don't we? 
to tell you what a passage means. But I'm saying when you read the Bible yourself, you don't bring an agenda with you or another human's perspective. When you do that, you can call that personal growth. And you can call that personal discipleship because it's personal simply to what you are reading and go where Scripture leads, not where someone has told you that it's going. And that's what I try to tell someone uh, that I may study with when we're not in agreement. Let's both have an open mind about what the Scripture says. Let's read it together. And let me ask you this question on this point. Do you believe you could read the Bible and discover something that you did not believe before? Do you believe you could read the Bible and discover something you have never believed before? What is the only way that could be possible? The only way that could be possible is you are reading it with an open mind. You are open-minded about what the Scripture is saying, and you are being taught by the Word of God. You see, that is what I expect of others. When I have a discussion, why should I not expect it of myself? And I'm not saying this is easy to do. I am simply saying that you must read the Bible with an openness to let God teach you and not someone else. Wes has had a great series for us from the Sermon on the Mount. You see, the Pharisees had elevated their traditions and their interpretations to be equal with Scripture. You cannot really press on the Scripture any farther than what their interpretations and traditions were. So when Jesus came along with, they had all kind of problems with Him because He rejected those traditions and interpretations. So many times in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And so why is it then that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, we're... We should not be astonished at what the people say because it, they said when they heard him, they were astonished because he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus tore all those traditions and interpretations away and said, just look at Scripture clearly. Just look at it with an open mind. Turn to Acts 17. Those blessed Bereans... Paul had been on the second missionary journey to Thessalonica. He'd been kicked out of Thessalonica. Paul and Silas arrive in Berea. They go to the Jewish synagogue as their tradition. They go to people who know the Bible. They know the, six, the 39 books of the Old Testament. The brothers immediately sent, verse 10, sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and they arrived when they, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. They, with all eagerness. They loved getting into the scriptures. But they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. It's kind of like, Paul, thank you. We loved getting into the word with you. You know what we're going to do now? We're going to read it for ourself. And we're going to examine it ourselves to see if what you're saying is true. That's the way we should read Scripture, with an open mind and not based on perhaps what we've always been taught.
And quickly, number three, read for more than facts alone. Read for more than facts alone. Carl McKelvey said, read the Bible for formation, not just for information. And he said, we should not read to master the text, but for the text to master us. Read it, listen to it, then receive it and respond to it. It's not Wikipedia. I'm not just going there to look up all the events and all the the things that took place in Scripture. You know, I love to read books. And when I read a book, most often, especially if it's a paperback, I toss it. I don't like to watch movies a second time. Because, you know, once I've read it, why why go back and look at it again? I know what's going to happen. And when you read the Bible... Read it as though you're reading it for the first time. You're not looking for the facts. Look for the meaning and the application to you. And number four, read the Bible slowly. Read the Bible slowly. Some of you might say, well, I got that one. I'm covered on that. But the best illustration I've heard on this is the way you're told to eat food. How are you whether we do it or not, how are we told how to eat food? Slowly. We're told to eat it slowly. Why is that? If you eat it slowly and chew it a lot, chew on it, you'll digest it much better. Is that not true with God's Word? You know, it's kind of like fast food. We, got, we like fast Bible. And there are some things that sometimes tell us we have to be in a hurry. You don't have to finish the chapter. Uh, you know, I've got this book here. I loved, I loved it when I read through, maybe you have too, the one-year chronological Bible. You're reading Scripture from the way it was written from beginning to end, and it's put together so well to read the Bible story event by event. But you know what? I got a day or two behind, or three, and I'll tell you, I may have flown through 1 Samuel and not even caught what was there. So... Here's what I'm going to do with my one-year chronological Bible. I got my Sharpie. It's not a one-year chronological Bible anymore. It's just a chronological Bible. If you take your time, or if you don't take your time, what are you going to do when you're reading a passage with an open mind and it touches your heart and you have to stop right there and you have to pray about that verse. You have to think about it. It's as though you're reading a verse for the first time as if God wrote it there and put it there last night. You may have read it a hundred times, but because you were not in a hurry or it was not being quoted to you, you're seeing them for the very first time. You know, Wes has a great book that'll help. It's called Beyond the Verse. I don't know if you know that he's written this. It's a wonderful introduction to every book of the Bible. And it will help you to read that book by understanding some of the principles that are there. And it may open your mind to see verses that you've never read before. You know, I said I remembered only two points from that sermon on Felix. Well, the last one, turn back to chapter 24 in Acts. The last one was that Felix had a second chance. In Acts 24 and verse 26... It says, at the same time, 
he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So we know Felix is a true politician. But he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. For two years, Festus, Felix had all these second chances, all these times to hear again the truth about Jesus Christ. He was in the right place at the right time. He didn't know it, but he had so many chances. I can illustrate this from a personal experience. I hope you know Al and Judy Forbes here at our church. They both had been widowed and uh, they met each other, thankfully. And Judy called me one day and uh, asked me to do their wedding back in January of 2017. But she said, before we get married, I'd like you to study the Bible with Al. There's some things I, I feel like Al could see if we could just explain them to them. And so uh, in October, uh, they came to my office. They both walk in, and uh, Al's just a fine gentleman. But I remember Al saying, you know, Judy wanted me to study the Bible with you. Uh, I don't think it's going to make much difference. You know, I'm a, a good Christian man, and, and he certainly was. But uh, uh, we got to talking, and Al explained... Uh, about when he was young, how he had become a Christian. He said he'd been baptized at a young age, but uh, never really thought there was any reason that the baptism had any connection with his salvation. He didn't believe it was for the remission of sins. And so we began to study. And I said, Al, let's just, let's just open the Bible. Uh, let's, let's look in the book of Acts. Let's look at when the gospel was first preached. When people were hearing the truth of Jesus for the first time, what was said what they understood, and then what they did and why they did it. And an hour and a half later, Al said, you know, I have never seen or read these scriptures and really read them for what's there. You know, Al may have had his mind made up, but the blessing was Al still had an open mind to what scripture said. And that afternoon in October, we went from my office to the baptistry and Al was baptized. Al was in the right place at the right time. He didn't know it. He, he knew he was entering into a wonderful marriage. But he didn't know that study was going to develop as it did. And he also had that second chance, thanks to Judy, that Judy arranged that to happen. With an open Bible and an open mind, he allowed God to speak to him. And you and I can do that every day with the time that we have. The book that's in your hand, it's up to you. You may be 20, 40, 60, or 80 this morning, but have you ever really let God's Word into your heart and made the commitment to let the Bible disciple you? Read it with an open mind, not just for information. Read it slowly because we have another chance Discipleship is a journey. I pray we're all on that road that gets us to that crown that Paul was after. This morning, uh, we, you know that we love you, as Wes says. Uh, we want to pray for you.
there's an opportunity to let us know your prayer request. Our, our church phone is being answered. If there's a study that needs to take place with someone with you or your family, let us know that. Uh, there's opportunities for us even in this environment that we find ourselves in. God bless you this week. Uh, let's pray together. God, help us through this day. Help us through this time. And uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it lives. Thank you for how it teaches us. Father, we pray we'll see it that way and, and we'll let the word speak to us and we'll let it teach us. It'll, we'll let it uh, guide us when we'll respond to it as we get into that word. Thank you for bringing it to us in these uh, days that we have. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.